0: This message by Zach Varnell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Zach serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Acts chapter 13. Open your Bibles there to Acts chapter 13. Good morning. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. We'd love to get you one today. Acts chapter 13. This is God's word to us today. I'm actually going to start reading two verses above chapter 13, beginning in 12, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Mark. Now, they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I am. Have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Then the proconsul believed, when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. God's mission will always triumph because it's his mission. I think that's the main point of our text today. God's mission will always triumph because it's his It's his mission. Don't you love how God-centered the book of Acts is? You know, this is what goes on in our lives each week. We, We live in this world, and throughout our weeks, we are just inundated with all manner of tasks and chores and things we need to do. We've got clothes to wash and kids to feed. We've got tests to take assignments to finish, appointments to make, deadlines to keep. We have to-do lists and shopping lists and everything that's wrong with our houses lists. We have to clean things and take out the trash and fill our cars up with gas. We have phone calls to make. We have to respond to emails and text. We try to remember what we forgot to do. Think of this season, too. We've, we've talked about it already. There's just so much to do this particular season. We've got to figure out how we're going to afford these Christmas trees and which kid's not going to get gifts this year because we want a Christmas tree in the house. We've got parties for hosting. Maybe we have parties we want to try to be invited to. We have pictures to take, letters to send, deliveries to make, all kinds of things. Sometimes we get a lot of things done. Sometimes we don't. But there's always lots to do, and then each and every week, not that those things are bad, there's just, just the world we live in, but then we gather here on a Sunday morning, <laughs> and we sing these songs, but then we open to the book of Acts, and we realize afresh, wait a minute, this is God's world. He is never uninvolved. This is what the book of Acts does for us. It raises our vision to remember the reality of God. He is involved. He's here. He's at work. He owns everything. And he has a calling for our lives, even amid all the things we have to do. This book will not allow us to forget eternity. (laughs) It, It will not allow us to forget why we are here what we are doing, and more importantly, what the Lord is accomplishing. No matter the scenario, it's such a joy to be going through this book together as a church. God is always at work. And isn't that our hope? Isn't that our hope as a people? Our hope for our lives is not our resolve just to try to get more of our stuff done Our hope is not to do better or to do more. Our hope is in the Lord. God's mission triumphs because it's God's mission. That's what we see uh, happening in our text today. Acts 13, it marks a transition in the book of Acts. Do you remember what Jesus said at the beginning of Acts to his disciples? Verse 8 in chapter 1, he said, You will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth chapters 1 to 7 it's it's the preaching of the gospel in jerusalem but then chapters 8 to 12 the gospel spreads now to all judea and samaria beginning in chapter 13 it's going out to the end of the earth Starting with this island in the Mediterranean Sea, it's the first missionary journey. It's an incredible moment. It begins the missionary era. This is the sending, that's what mission is of the gospel to people who've not heard it. You know, up until this point, evangelizing the Gentiles has largely come because, in in, in, you know, spontaneous ways, because of persecution, even. But no longer. Now it's commissioned. It's purposed. It's the fulfilling of the great commission, the gospel going to the nations. And it's not just an historical account. It's a picture of the heart of God, His ways, His paths that He carves, His purposes. God is not passive or indifferent or inactive ever. He's a God of mission, And he calls us up into it. So may we be struck today with the wonder of what we get to be a part of. May the Lord kindle our faith and excite our thirst and our hunger for him and his activity in our own lives, in the church, and in our city. Jay Gresham Machen says this, commentating on, on this text. He says, a mighty enterprise was begun. It was an audacious thought. The missionaries might well have been overpowered by what lay before them, by the power of a world empire. He's talking about Rome, by the prestige of a brilliant civilization. How insignificant were their own weapons? Would they even ever gain a hearing? But though the enterprise was begun in weakness, it was begun in faith. At their departure from Antioch, the missionaries were committed to the grace of God. Amen. God's mission triumphs because it's His mission, and it gives us every reason to hope in Him. So, two points this morning. Number one, the church sends out because the Spirit leads. The church sends out because the Spirit leads. This is the origin of the mission the Spirit sending. You remember how chapter 12 began and ended? What a statement it made. It began with James dead, Peter arrested, and Herod reigning in power. It ended with Herod dead, Peter freed, and verse 24, the word was increasing and multiplying. Look at verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. What what a list. (laughs) I mean, this is an incredible list of people. It already tells us so much of what God has done in a relatively short time. I mean, this is a fairly new church in Antioch. God had provided prophets and teachers. He had provided these particular men to serve and to lead this church. And look at the diversity. Barnabas, he was a Jew, a Levite from Cyprus, the very island to which they're about to go. Simeon, called Niger, which is Latin, For black, he was likely an African, maybe, some commentators think, from Ethiopia, based on the gospel activity happening there. There was Lucius of Cyrene. He was from Libya, also from Africa. And then Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of Herods in the New Testament, and it can get rather confusing. But this Herod is the uncle of the Herod who died in chapter 12. This is the son of Herod the great who ruled when Jesus was born and had the male children killed. This Herod had John this is the Herod who had John the Baptist executed. He was the one who was involved in the trial of Jesus and Menaean this guy in our text Menaean a leader in the church at Antioch grew up with this guy grew up in this family. Some translations say he was a half-brother, maybe an adopted brother. Think of Moses growing up in the courts of Pharaoh. And yet here Manaean is, one who had tasted great luxury and wealth and worldly power, who had grown up in a family who hated the Lord and his people. He was transformed by the gospel And now he's a leader of this church. And then there's Saul. I mean, Saul, who used to be the church's worst enemy, a part of this group. What a crew. It's diverse, but radically transformed by the gospel and therefore deeply united. It was a wonderful picture of the whole church. You know, outside the church, these guys have nothing to do with each other. James Montgomery Boyce, another commentator, says, Greeks did not like Romans. Romans did not like Greeks. Jews did not like anybody. The rich despised the poor, and the poor hated the rich. The educated people looked down on those who were uneducated, and so on, but not in the church in Antioch. What a work the Lord has already done, equipping it to be sent out into the world. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Before this, church was a sending church. Before it was engaged in the mission. First, it was a worshiping church. This is a church that felt their need for the Lord. They were worshiping and fasting because they knew their lives came from God. They might not have known much. you know. Think about that. It's a new church. They're not totally sure what it's all supposed to look like, but they knew to worship the Lord. They knew to pray. And so they did. And then this worshiping church becomes a witnessing church. It's just good to pause and think about. Don't you want to, let's be a church like this. I think we are by the grace of God. Let's never cease to be a church that hungers for the Lord will experience the movement of God. You know, if we try to do ministry in our own strength, it's not going to happen. Uh, My wife Sarah and I sometimes like to watch this show alone. It's a series where people are taken out into the wilderness, and uh, they're, they're dropped, op, drop, dropped off in different areas all by themselves. And the challenge is just to see who can last the longest. They're all by themselves, totally self-sufficient. It's impressive when people make it more than 15 or 20 days out there in the wilderness all by themselves. Some last close to 100 days. And there Sarah and I will be eating popcorn, in our warm, dry home on the couch, watching some guy who's living under three branches, who's not eaten for 15 days, and he starts thinking about giving up, and we're like, oh, come on. <laughs> Get over it. You're so weak. The whole, pre- the whole premise of the show is you can't make it. Everyone has to give up at some point. The whole premise of the show, is you cannot make it on your own. We are not self sufficient. Had the Spirit not shown up at Pentecost, when Peter got up to preach against those Jews and condemn them for crucifying Christ and call them to repent and trust the Lord, there would have been no repentance. In fact, they probably would have killed Peter. But the Spirit did come, and thousands believed. Let us hunger for the work of God in our midst. Let's realize our need for Him. This is an intentional mission given to this hungering, desperate, seeking church. They knew their need for God. You know, one of the most important aspects of this whole text is answering the question, who's behind it? Who's behind it all? Who's driving this? This, this mission did not emerge in just a, like a brainstorming meeting. In a group of enthusiastic Christians, this is God's mission. They were sent out by the Spirit. So may the Lord help us, like this church, to submit ourselves to God's will and leading and to earnestly hunger for Him and seek Him and trust Him. Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Notice, even after the Lord told them to set these men aside, they continued to fast and pray before they sent them out. Some think this is probably a prophetic word shared in a gathering. And so they wanted to test it and weigh it and pray about it. Submit themselves not to just an emotional reaction to something, but to wisdom. And to faith. And after doing so, they laid their hands on Saul and Barnabas. It was a symbol, a symbol of God's working, God's enabling. It was a symbol of of the church's commissioning of these men. You know, it's the it's the spirit that appoints them. One One of the refrains we've been using about our pastoral team as of late is awkward and confusing. And it's a joke, mostly. But really, there are, there are times when we are together in a room and we're thinking and discussing and planning and we're, we have decisions to make and, and important things to discuss. And we recognize the calling God's given us, the responsibility we have to lead and care for this church. And sometimes we look around the table we think, this is it. We're not very impressed with ourselves. And if we're just thinking, if we're simply thinking of the men there and our weaknesses and our sin, we're not impressed. But when we think about, well, the Lord's called us. When we think about God's calling and equipping who makes us sufficient for the work he's called us to, that changes everything. This is God's mission. This is not man's mission. This is God's mission. When we think it's the Lord who calls a man, who qualifies a man, who makes a man sufficient to do his work, it just changes things. And it actually gives us great confidence to serve him and to do what he's called us to do. God set these men apart. And the church's role was to acknowledge and to recognize and to affirm that he really did. When they laid their hands on him, they were releasing them to serve in this new role now. And you know what? It took courage. It took faith. They were losing Saul and Barnabas. Of course it took faith. And I just want to encourage you to pray and to fast For us and this church plant, and the pastors we send for Josh and for Drew, and the commissioning we hope to have. As we lay our hands on them and send out this church, we want to do it with faith and with hope and with trust and with courage. We too have to seek the Lord and trust Him. Pray for your pastors to be sensitive to God's leading because it's God's mission. We are on. John Owen says this, The gospel does not get ground in any place, nor is restrained from any place or people by accident or by the endeavors of men, but it is sent and disposed of according to the sovereign will and pleasure of the Spirit of God. We can trust the Lord to accomplish His purposes because it's His mission. God loves to work with a praying and fasting and worshiping church. A church that hungers for Him. A church that feels its need for Him. Don't we want to be that? Don't you want to be used by Him? Don't you want to be caught up, Lord, in whatever it is you're doing, we want to be a part of it. And if not, if that's not a driving desire of yours, pray. Ask the Lord to change your heart. Ask the Lord to give you a greater desire to be used by him, a greater hunger for him. Really, a greater vision of who he is. Because when we see him for who he's revealed himself to be, we can't help but want to be wrapped up in what he's doing. The church sends out because the Spirit leads. Secondly, the word triumphs. Because the Spirit attends. The Word triumphs because the Spirit attends. Look at verses 4 and 5. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. So they go down, they get on the boat, and they sail to this island about 60 miles away. Why Cyprus? We don't know exactly. Uh, Barnabas, I think I mentioned, was from there. Acts 11 tells us that there were believers in Cyprus. They were scattered there after Stephen's martyrdom. We also find out from Acts 11 that it was actually evangelists from Cyprus who started the church in Antioch. So maybe those are reasons why. We don't know exactly why they chose Cyprus. But we know what becomes clear is that God chose Cyprus because they brought the word of God there. The word is unleashed, verse 6, through the whole island. Isn't that amazing? 3,500 square miles They take it through the whole island, and the very first place they preach was in the synagogues. You know, this is a typical tactic of evangelism we see in Acts. They start in the temple with the Jews because the Jews believed the Word. The Jews believed the Old Testament. They, they were encouraging Jews to fulfill their Old Testament promise to become a light to the nations. The promised and longed-for Messiah had come, so they shared the gospel in the synagogues. And John Mark was there to assist them. Twice Luke mentions this, so that we would know he was there and he was helping. He was playing a significant role. And then verse 6, When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith In the midst of their mission, they meet opposition. A Jewish magician, which is really, it's an oxymoron. He was a false prophet. He was an apostate. This is not the first time we meet a magician. If you remember Acts 8, the first thing the gospel encounters outside of Jerusalem is Simon the magician. At each new threshold crossing of the gospel, Evangelists encounter magic. And don't think birthday party tricks. Think sorcerer. Think one who uses magic to heal or to curse, to protect or to harm. Think real demonic influence. Darkness. In the Lord of the Rings, which very much seems like a Christmas movie to me, I think because there's snow and trees... There's a character called Grima Wormtongue. He's the chief advisor to King Theoden of Rohan. But his first allegiance was not to the king. His first allegiance was to the evil sorcerer Saruman. And that's who he, ser- he served instead of the king. He's a nasty character. When he should have been speaking the truth... And giving good counsel and guidance and clarity and vision and perspective to the king to serve him. Instead, he uses his magic to keep the king's mind darkened. His speech was like poison. He opposed the light. He kept the king in darkness. And the king greatly suffered because of it. He's a really nasty creature, and he's exactly who I think about when I was studying Bar Jesus. Bar Jesus means "son of Jesus." He is a name he probably took on in order to gain popularity when, when Jesus was known about. But he was no follower of Christ. He benefited financially from his service to this proconsul. This proconsul was this high-ranking Roman official, and he would have paid Alemus. He would have paid him, this magician, to make predictions, to dish out blessings or curses. He thought it was nice to have a magician around, but the Lord was at work. Sergius Paulus wanted, in the grace of God, wanted to hear the word of God. So he summoned Saul and Barnabas. What an opportunity, a high-ranking Roman official seeking to hear the word. What an opportunity for the spread of the gospel. And it was greatly opposed. You know, as we preach the gospel, it, even as we seek to believe it and just apply it to our lives, we're going to be met, maybe not by magicians, but we will be opposed. This, this world despises the truth. Even though we'll, we'll hear it sung and we'll hear it playing on our Radios and in stores all month long, the world still despises the fact that he rules the world in truth and grace and makes the nations prove it. There's a darkness we face, a leading away from the truth. People say there's no way you can believe in a God who would send people to hell. You you can't possibly believe in a God who would Enforce his standards on you and command our obedience and our emotions and our lives to submit to him. There's no way you can believe that. The gospel is always going to be met with opposition. But just remember this. It's not only human opposition. Don't be deceived. Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let's don't be ignorant of that. That's what we're wrestling against. But let's also remember that though our weapons might not be impressive, worldly speaking, they are divinely powerful. The Word of God and prayer God's given us these means of grace to defeat the enemy. And so, we get to verse 9. And it's one of the great moments in the whole book of Acts. Verse 9, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil... By the hand. It was was a fitting judgment. Elimus was seeking to keep this proconsul in the darkness, but it will be he himself who cannot see. Mark Twain has said: the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. In verse 9: As the gospel goes to the nations, Saul begins to be called Paul. His Roman name. And in this moment, Paul is becoming who he was always meant to be. If I could just do one more Lord of the Rings illustration, I'm sorry. <laughs> king Aragorn. There's a moment when he stops hiding from who he's supposed to be. And he takes, he's, he was always meant to be the king, the true king. And he comes out of hiding, and he finally does it by taking the king's sword. The sword that could only be wielded by the true king as Isildur's heir. And all the true fans of Lord of the Rings in that moment, they jump up and they throw things and they go crazy. It's that moment for Paul. But it's just, it's what's wonderful. It's not about Paul. (laughs) It's about what the Lord is doing in Paul. Do you remember? At Paul's conversion, what the Lord told Ananias, he said, but the Lord said, this is Acts 9.15, the Lord said to Ananias, go, go to Paul, go to Saul. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God is fulfilling his purpose in Paul's life. The Spirit fills Paul. He enables Paul to discern Elimus' motives And to discern God's will, he's not just calling Elimus names. He's pointing out who he is. In fact, he fears the Lord enough to say what's true and to oppose what is evil. It's a great reversal. You're no son of Jesus. You're no bar Jesus. You're the son of the devil, the father of lies. Whatever power Elimus exercised, it was utterly impotent when confronted with the power of the spirit. But notice, though he can't see, it is only for a time. This judgment's only for a time. It's temporary, perhaps for a chance for Elimus to repent. I think it's the heart of God on display for us. God's mission triumphs because it's God's mission. Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. God didn't just defeat Elimus. He used him to rescue the proconsul. Isn't that what God does? He, He redeems troubling, difficult moments. He didn't just blind Elimus. He opened the proconsul's mind to the gospel. He didn't just remove Elimus. He uses him. But it wasn't the miracle that made all the difference. Notice at the end of verse 12, he believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What astonished him was not the miracle. What astonished him was the gospel. What astonished him was not the blinding of Elimus. What astonished him was the news of a crucified Savior. And the message they proclaimed to this Roman proconsul. It's the same message that saves any who believe it. It's the message we offer you today. It's the message we will be celebrating, not just for the season of Advent, but for all of eternity. Christ came into the world to save sinners, to rescue those who walk in darkness, To save us from our sin by dying in our place and rising to new life. The gospel message is what astonished Sergius Paulus. And it's what should astonish us. Oh, may the Lord help us to be freshly astonished that he came and he came to save. God had a path. God had a straight path for Sergius Paulus. That's what Alimus was trying to bend. But God had a straight path. He had ordained the gospel to come to this man and change his life. And the Spirit will not allow that path to fail. God has a path for everyone who is saved, and nothing can thwart it. If you are a Christian... God has made a path for you, (laughs) this straight path. He came after you and he got you and he still has paths, both paths for your life and paths for others. And they can't be thwarted. This is not just ancient history. This astonishing message, it's still changing lives today. No obstacle can thwart the purposes of God. And you know what? That, That sustains us for everything we face. This is not just about God accomplishing his mission for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. This is about God's ability to accomplish his mission in our own lives. You ever thought about that? You ever thought, Lord, the timing of this could not be worse. You ever had that thought? Lord, another difficulty, another one, ever have those moments you just feel hopeless how will i get out of this god meets no obstacles god's purposes will always prevail why because they're his purposes and if that's true let's believe it let's believe him Let's live like it's true. You know, we're meant to be inspired by this. We're we're meant to not only see the heart of God, but the power of God. God's mission will always succeed because it's His. Who knows what the Lord's going to do through our church, through our own lives. Who knows what paths the Lord, good straight paths the Lord has ordained for us. There's always a lot of things for us to do, especially in busy Seasons, there's one thing that matters. May we hunger and thirst for and seek the Lord and his presence. Samuel Zwimmer, he was a missionary to Bahrain. He said the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. Acts 13, it's a new church, small church. They're facing a towering world empire, weak in the world's eyes, opposed by Satan and his forces. These disciples had very little. They were very small, but they prayed. And because it's God's mission, it succeeded. Our hope and our trust for our lives and our families or our futures cannot be in what we have to bring to the table. Oh, my goodness. Our hope is in the Lord and in the Lord alone, for His mission for the church and His mission for your life will always succeed. It can't be thwarted. It can't be bent or made crooked. God will make it straight. We're going to transition now. And we're going to pray. We we don't have impressive weapons in the world's eyes, but we have what we know is divinely powerful prayer. So we're going to have a time of prayer now. I'll invite the band to come on back up and the prayer teams to come down front. I invite you to stand. And as we sing you want to receive prayer, just come, come down and let us pray for you. Maybe you, maybe you lack faith for God to accomplish his good purposes in your lives. Maybe there are certain areas you just feel your need for him in a fresh way. Things you long for him to do. Come and let's pray. Let's cast our cares to the Lord. Let's share our burdens together. Maybe you just want to experience more of a hunger and a thirst for him. Maybe you need fresh hope that he's faithful to accomplish everything he sets out to do. Let me pray, and then we'll return to singing and pray for you. Father, I pray you'd cause us uh, to know your heart all the more this morning. Thank you that you are not only almighty and powerful and sovereign and ruling. Lord, you're also good and gracious. You're close to us, Lord. You're imminent. We pray that you'd help us to know that this morning and to delight in you. Lord, make yourself known to us. Increase our faith. We hunger for you, Lord. We thirst for you. We ask you to use us according to your will, that your glory may be known in all the earth we ask in Jesus name and for His sake. Amen.: You've been listening to a message given by Zach Varnell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865. 865- 694 4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.